Good morning. Well, it seems sometimes that we take one step forward and two steps back. This was to be another milestone in our restart as we meet today in two services in our church, as well as here online. Only for us to hear that next week we will all be back online again with further restrictions. A milestone has turned into a millstone. And yet it's what needs to happen to help us emerge from these days more quickly. And as we've been reminded recently, as we follow God's leading of Abraham and his family, God is sovereign over the affairs of our world, over individuals and nations, over politics and pandemics. He has promised in Proverbs 3 to make our paths straight, but not smooth or level necessarily. The Hebrew word for straight has more to do with geography than geometry. It means there is a clear destination in mind, but there can be a few bends along the way, a few twists and turns. For some of these, for some of us, these new restrictions will merely be an irritation and an inconvenience, but others will be fearful and devastated because of the implications for employment, finance, mental health, and isolation from vulnerable loved ones. It's in this context we come this morning to worship, to worship the God who knows and the God who sees. We come to ask our questions and to listen to his words in response. Particularly this morning, we come to encounter a God who can turn our mourning into laughter and who proved himself to be present even in the social isolation of the wilderness, the barren places. So let us praise him now. Let us pray. Lord God, some of us gather this morning disappointed and looking for reassurance. Some of us gather confused and looking for answers. Some of us gather fearful and looking for hope. Some of us gather angry and needing perspective. But all of us come now, Lord God, humbly and acknowledging our own imperfect knowledge, our own selfish motives, our own sinful attitudes and actions. Forgive us, we pray. Open our ears to your word, our hearts to your grace, and our wills to your spirit. May we come now with a spirit of worship, confessing you again as Lord and God. May we come with a spirit of humility, ready to listen and obey. And may we come with a spirit of gratitude, not forgetting the many ways in which you continue to bless us, even in these difficult times. For we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen. The reading this morning is taken from Genesis 21, verses 1 to 21, the birth of Isaac. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? 
Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly, because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had promised. He did for Sarah what he had said. We have been waiting a long time to hear these words, haven't we? We started this journey with Abraham and Sarah way back in September with a promise. A promise that God would make of Abraham a great nation. But that promise has been slow in being fulfilled. Week on week we have waited only to be met with more waiting. And while it's been 10 weeks for us, it's been 25 years for Abraham and Sarah. But at last, today, at long last, the waiting is over. A child is born. If Abraham's life was a film or a stage play, chapter 21 would be the moment of climax. That high point in the drama when all of the rising action reaches its crescendo. It's certainly that for Sarah, isn't it? This passage brings her part in the story not only to a climax but to a neat resolution. But this chapter is not only about Sarah or her son Isaac, the promised child. Because you'll have noticed in our reading there are two mothers in our story. Two sons. Two moments of climax and resolution. Because as well as Sarah, there is Hagar. And as well as Isaac, well there's Ishmael. And their stories are quite different from one another, aren't they? One is a story of laughter. 
The other is a story of crying out in despair. That's what the boys' names mean, after all. Do you remember? Isaac means he laughed. Ishmael means God hears. Laughing, hearing. These are the themes I want to pick up on as we think about what God might be saying to us today in this chapter from Genesis. I should say, however, that there's more to Genesis 21 than I'll be talking about here and more than we've read together today. There are actually another dozen or so verses at the end which continue that narrative we began last week. Do you remember? With Abraham and Abimelech. We don't have time to think about those now. Instead, we're going to focus on this story of the two mothers, the two sons of laughter and of hearing. We'll start with laughter. Laughter can mean a lot of things, can't it? Just this week, I found a card um, in my daughter's school bag that one of her friends had written. And inside it said, I'm sorry I laughed at you. Laughter can be unkind. Laughter can also be defiant, can't it? I don't know if you know, but um, slave owners on the American in the American South actually banned laughing on their plantations. But their enslaved people found a way around this. They used to go over to a large barrel that was set aside for this purpose and laugh into it. It's where we get the expression, a barrel of laughs. And laughter can be sneering. This is the sort of laughter we heard from Sarah back in Genesis 18, do you remember? Monty explained to us how she snorted in disbelief when she overheard God say to Abraham that she, in her old age, would give birth to a child. What we sometimes forget, however, is that she's actually following her husband's lead here. In just the chapter before that, Abraham had exactly the same reaction. He laughed when God made this promise to him. Laughed so hard, we're told, that he fell down on his face on the ground with laughter. But it's not this laughter of incredulity that we find here in chapter 21. When Isaac is born, Sarah says, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. She's not talking about sniggers of disbelief here. The only sounds that this newborn will hear will be the belly aching cackles of joy. Joy at the celebration of his birth. You see the laughter we hear in chapter 21. Well it's a bit like that laughter we encountered way back in the Psalms of Ascent during the summer. Do you remember? Do you remember Psalm 126? This is what it says. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion... We were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. This is the sort of laughter that Christ anticipates when he says, Blessed are you who weep, for you will laugh. Sometimes it can be hard to imagine that such joy will ever come especially when disappointment is so near to us, when sorrow is ever present. 
But the birth of Isaac, the birth of laughter, reminds us that God keeps his promises. Did you notice how this is emphasised in the opening verse? Look at it again. We have this repeated insistence in that phrase that this was as God had said what he had promised. This promise of laughter is not just for Abraham and Sarah. It's for us too. The gospel assures us that at the end of our story, well, it will only be to discover that the broken and exasperated laughter we have poured into that barrel of laughs will ultimately be tipped out again as gregarious, unadulterated, joy-filled glee in the kingdom of God. This is our Christian hope. Do you remember those words in Revelation? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things will have passed away. In other words, there'll be nothing to keep us from laughing. So that's laughing. Well, what about hearing? You see, the merriment in Genesis 21 doesn't last for long. We read that on the day that Isaac is weaned, Abraham held a great feast. It's a celebration with lots of laughter, but it ends in misery. That old rivalry between Sarah and Hagar raises its head again. It all kicks off when Sarah spies Hagar, Hagar's son interacting with her beloved Isaac. The NIV translation that we've read tells us that Ishmael was mocking the infant. But you know, this is not necessarily the correct translation. The Hebrew word is quite ambiguous here and other translations put it more positively. They have Ishmael playing with the boy, for example. But however we translate it, it doesn't alter the real reason for Sarah's upset. You see, it's not Ishmael's actions here that annoy her, so much as his very existence. To Sarah's mind, Ishmael is an existential threat to her son Isaac and his future inheritance. Look at what she says to her husband Abraham. Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. She doesn't hide her disdain, does she? Do you remember how we observed in chapter 16 that Sarah never called Hagar by her name? She was always that slave. And it seems that she still cannot bring herself to say it all these years later. Hagar remains to Sarah that slave woman. And worse still... This acrimony is extended to Ishmael. Not only will she not use his name, she even seems to ignore the fact that Abraham is his father. He is that slave woman's son. Nothing more. But one thing has changed since chapter 16. Back then, you'll remember, well, Abraham seemed pretty relaxed when Hagar and his unborn son fled from the camp. But now we read that he is visibly distressed at this request from Sarah. 
And here's where the hearing first comes into the story. Because true to Ishmael's name, God hears. God hears Abraham in his distress. He comes to, Israel, to, to Abraham and, and he tells him not to worry. Ishmael will be okay. God will fulfill for him what he has promised. He'll make him into a great nation too. Now we've criticised Abraham at various points on this journey for not having enough faith at times. I wonder if this is a rare example when perhaps, well, Abraham could have taken God a little less at his word. Let me explain what I mean. Look at verse 14. You'll see here that Abraham sends Hagar into the desert with nothing more than a pack of food and a skin of water with her infant child on her back. This action of Abraham may well demonstrate his faith in God's promises but they're a bit reckless aren't they? And as we might expect well Abraham's failure to provide adequately for Hagar and Ishmael soon gets them into deep trouble. The food runs out. The skin of water empties dry and the desert sun becomes unbearable. Hagar is sure that death is about to come to her and her child. It's hard to imagine a more distressing scenario. The thought of watching Ishmael suffer is too much for her to bear and so she contemplates the unthinkable and she abandons her child under the shade of a lonely bush and she takes herself off and has nothing left to do but to sit and to weep. There's no laughter here is there? I wonder what's going on in Hagar's mind at this point. Is she thinking back to that chapter in Genesis 16, that memory. Is she wondering if that encounter with God that had been so important to her, well, was it a dream all of all, after all? Had, had it happened? Was it real? Or was she continuing to hope? Was she crying out with the words, like the words we're going to sing in a few moments with this hymn that Monty's chosen for us. Pass me not, O gentle Saviour, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. These are beautiful and painful words, aren't they? But when we sing them together in a few moments, we can sing them with joy. Because we know the answer. Ishmael, God hears. For a second time in Hagar's life, God hears her. And he hears the cries of her son. And God responds to Ishmael's cry by sending his angel once more to Hagar. That heavenly search party we talked about before, it returns again with words of comfort from God. That God will keep his promises. And then we read that God himself opens Hagar's eyes. The God who sees helps Hagar to see. And what she sees is life. She opens her eyes and she sees hope because in front of her there's a well of water. And this well allows the young Ishmael 
to drink and to live. It gives him a future. Ishmael and his mother drop out of the Genesis narrative at this point. Aside from a brief mention of Ishmael's descendants in chapter 25, that's pretty much him gone from the story. But though Ishmael is out of sight, though to us he seems inconsequential to God's story, verse 20 offers us a glimpse of a happy future. These amazing words we read, look at them again. God was with the boy as he grew up. Ishmael's not out of God's sight, is he? God was gracious to Ishmael as he had said. The Lord did for him as he had promised. Ishmael becomes, we read, that wild ass of a man that we learned about in chapter 16. A free man. A man who we read here becomes an expert with the bow. Who marries. Who fathers a nation. First in Abraham's life came Ishmael. God hears. Then came Isaac. He laughs. Hearing followed by laughter. It's the story of the gospel, isn't it? We cry out to God in our distress. He hears us and he answers with laughter, joy, the promise of hope. I don't know if you've realised it, but this weekend is the C.S. Lewis Festival in Belfast. It's online this year, of course, like everything is at the moment. Coincidentally, I hadn't realised that was the case, but Esther and Daniel just this week asked if I would read to them one of their favourite stories, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. It's not the full version, it's a beautiful picture book version that we have. And there's a particular passage in that story that struck me this week is probably as Genesis 21 was percolating in my mind. It comes right at the end when Lucy tells Aslan when she calls out to him and says that she's afraid. She's afraid that she's not going to be a good queen. Aslan hears her of course and tells her that she's going to be a very good queen indeed. And here's what we read next. As always, Aslan was right. Soon all four of them were loved and respected up and down the land. Together they finished off the witches' ghastlies. They restored peace, good living and laughter. And where it was endless winter, now it seemed always summer. As we approach this season of Advent and the possibility of a long winter ahead, let us wait with hopeful anticipation of laughter. That one day Christ's kingdom will come in its fullness. And when we can rejoice that God has been gracious to us as he had said. In Christ, God has done for us what he had promised. In the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit.
Amen. As I was reflecting on the story of Hagar and how twice she was found by God in the wilderness, I couldn't get out of my head an old gospel hymn. I'm not sure when I last sang it, but it's extremely simple and yet it's profoundly deep and personal in its heartfelt cry to God. It was apparently written by Fanny Crosby based on a prayer that she heard an old saint utter one evening. This could have been Hagar's song. It can be ours. So listen and reflect and join in if you can. Lord God, this morning we pray that you would indeed visit us in your power and grace. That you would listen to the cries of your people, we pray those working on the front line in medicine and care home nursing, those working in scientific research, virology and epidemiology, those providing essential services to the community, those continuing to work and teach in our schools. Give them strength, we pray, physically and mentally for the demands of these days. For those working in government and law enforcement, often having to make difficult and unpopular decisions. Give them wisdom and grace and courage, we pray. For those in business, in the hospitality industry, the travel industry, the self-employed and small businesses, for those recently made redundant or about to be made redundant, for university students frustrated at the restrictions on their life and education, concerned about not getting home for Christmas in the short term and about lack of job opportunities in the long term. We pray that you would provide for all of those in need and give hope to those who are fearful or depressed. For those still unable to grieve properly the loss of a loved one, for those fearing for family members who are currently critically ill, for those who are confused and not able to understand why family can't visit them, and who feel that they may be going into their final days and nights alone. Draw near with all your comfort and compassion. Give them your sweet assurance that you walk with them through the dark valley, and that with you they are never abandoned. Also, Lord, we pray that we'll be able to look beyond our own circumstances and even our own land. We pray for those countries for whom a pandemic is simply another in a long list of evils to be visited on them, on top of famine or flood or civil war. We pray for those seeking to bring peace and and bring relief to places like Yemen and Ethiopia. And finally, for ourselves, we ask that you would help us in the midst of our own challenges to be a blessing, an inspiration and agents of healing and hope to those we encounter this week. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, folks. I'll be as quick as I can with a few announcements today. As you'll know by now, places of worship are going to be closed uh, for public worship services for two weeks beginning on the coming Friday. Uh, So that means we aren't going to be able to go ahead with the face-to-face gatherings Uh, that we had planned and that we had told you about. Uh, We're going to have to wait for a little while, uh, but once we're clearer about the way forward, uh, we'll update our rota 
and get back to you as soon as you can with new invitations to come to face-to-face church gatherings. Uh, please do get a look at the email that we sent out this week. There's a, a, an awful lot of stuff in there. Um, I certainly don't have time to, to share it with you now in this wee video, but uh, look out for stuff there. There's a, an invitation to a, a Zoom Advent gathering next Sunday. Uh, so next Sunday marks the first Sunday of Advent for 2020. And it seems to me like a wonderful opportunity uh, for us to get together. Uh, we're hungry for hope is the theme that we're using for this year's Advent service. I think that sums things up pretty well. We, we need some hope in these times that we find ourselves in. And there is so much hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we'll only take time to open ourselves to him. If you go to that email, you'll be able to read more about how Kirkpatrick has contributed to some work among international students at Queen's University in Belfast. Uh, there's some information there about Home for Goods Online Summit, which takes place this week. There's an update on the freezer ministry. There's an invite to a Zoom gathering to help us think about poverty in East Belfast and how we might uh, think about that and respond to it. Uh, there's a lot of information this week from Storehouse, so all their stuff about turkeys and hampers, uh, but there's also some interesting stuff about guitars, and you'll also see stuff there uh, about Dave and LJ's Friday feasts. Uh, all of that's there in the, the weekly email. Please do get a look at it, because I, I can't do it justice in this short video. Uh, one last thing, Rhoda Elder has asked that any ladies in the congregation who have a PW mission box to return it to Desmond McKibben or to Hilary Dewhurst. Uh, folks, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining with us uh, this morning in our service of worship. Charles Wesley, in one of his lesser known hymns, speaks about how living in the light of the resurrection, we can actually laugh, not in disbelief, but in faith. He writes this, Faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to that alone, laughs at impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. May that be our experience this week in these impossible times. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.